And, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking about this sermon series, one of the reasons why I felt this sermon series was going to be so important is that right now, uh, our culture, and even not just our culture as in us as individuals, but our church culture, sometimes misportrays who God is. Uh, we've become obsessed with Christianese sayings. Uh, we've become obsessed with things that sound good, but aren't necessarily even uh, true. I can think of tons of phrases that have the word or name God in it, but have nothing actually to do with God. And what we are going to try to, uh, my goal in this series is to help us walk out of here in a few weeks and go, that is who my God is. And that is the purpose of this series, that when you realize who God is, it changes who you are. I'm going to say that one more time because that's really important. When you realize who God is, it changes who you are. Um, there's a big difference between walking into a fight with somebody smaller than you and walking into a fight with somebody bigger than you, right? Because the person, when you are the larger person, you know, I'm going to have to carry the weight of this. And when I say larger, I know that there are scrappy people who can fight, okay? But what I'm saying is, you know that that person is going to carry their weight. And when we're talking about God, we have to put him in his proper context to help us understand how we can live differently in the scope of who he is. So that's what we're talking about. And one of the first things that I want to I also address is that there is this push, and there's always been this church push against um, advancement. And I'm not saying that all of the church is this way, but I'm saying there's, this, there's always been this push of fear in the church that if we advance too far, we are going to uh, compromise who we are. Uh, so we don't want to push too far into sciences. We don't want to push too far into medical. We don't want to push too far into any specific area because we're afraid of what may happen if we come to some kind of knowledge. But let me assure you of something. Our God is the creator. Our God is the one who organized everything. Um, if anything, we should be pushing for advancement. Why? Because science has been catching up to the understanding of who God is for generations, and they will continue to. Um, they try to explain who he is outside of there being a creator, which leaves them puzzled, which is why you have lots of theories. You have theories in science, and then you have laws. And when you look at their laws, a lot of their laws point towards a creator. Newton's law, one of Newton's laws of motion is that an object at rest will stay at rest, and an object in motion will stay in motion, right? This is, this, is a, this is a scientific law. It is proven time and time and time again. But here's the problem with this law. And it's not a problem. It's just the facts. In order for something to be in motion, there has to be, there has to be an original pusher, an, an original mover, someone who takes something at rest and says, I'm putting motion into this. Why? Because an object at rest will stay at rest unless something or someone pushes it into motion. So why do I say that? Because in a culture that seems to be ever-changing, I can assure you, and I want to assure you, 
Change is not a bad thing. Advancement is not a bad thing. The thing you should fear is compromising truth. You know, I don't want to go back to the Middle Ages when the average lifespan was 52 years old, and that was if you survived childhood. I'm thankful for scientific advances. I'm thankful for medical advances that we are where we are today. I don't want to go back. I was never there, and I never want to go there. And, you know, we don't know exactly what the future holds. So don't fear change, but do fear compromising truth. And you have to then understand then what becomes the difference in regards to this. Well, that's what this entire sermon series is about. Understanding who God is, understanding who he has created us to be, understanding what truth is. All right. So as we as we look uh, to this, the this is what I have to just put it out there. Everyone knows this about me. This is who I am. If you want to know who God is, you have to go to who? God. (laughs) I'm not going to go outside of God for somebody else to tell me who God is. So I go to his word. So in this series, you're going to see a lot of God's word preached because it is his word revealing himself to us. And to us. And so this series is going to take a few weeks. I'm thinking we're going to be in here for two months. Um, in case you were wondering what we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about God is love. Because I think for the first time, um, I've ever pr- I'm going to preach on a Valentine's Day, which is unique. Um, so if you want to bring your Valentine's next week and little things, we can go back to elementary school and do that if you want to. Uh, I, it's already planned. There you go. All right. So this morning as we... As we begin this series, I'm going to tell you right now that our first word is, we've already sung about it, we've already talked about it, but our first word that we hear and we might not fully know is that our God is omnipotent. Our God is omnipotent. And when we, when we look at the word omnipotent, what we're doing is we're basically taking two different words in the Latin language and we're combining them together. And when I learned the first word, omni, I was in school and uh, I was learning about animals and I learned that animals were carnivores, which meant that they ate meat, or they were herbivores, which meant they ate plants, right? or an omnivore, which is somebody who eats any of those things, they both, right? So when we, when we look at the word omni, I want you to think the word all. And you'll hear the word omni or omni uh, multiple times throughout this sermon series. So when we're talking about how God is omnipotent, he is all potent, right? But potent is a word that means power. That means power. So what we can, when we understand the word or hear the word omnipotent, what we should hear is our God is all-powerful. All-powerful. And the reason why this is so important is what we're going to talk about today. Um, To be all-powerful means that our God is unlimited in his power. He is all-powerful. You know, one of the things that's, that's, you know, I love superhero movies. Okay, I love superhero movies, but a lot of times uh, what we can end up doing is what we see, we then put on to other things we know. So uh, we think we think that God has to have some kind of kryptonite. No, 
No, no, no. Our God is all-powerful. He has no weakness within himself. He is above all power. The other way you can look at omnipotent is that God is the source of all power. And so, you know, I looked back to uh, last week, I think is when we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about how when Jesus said, uh, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. If, in case you didn't know, this isn't the first time that Jesus said that. You know, yes, Jesus said that in the New Testament, but Jesus also said this in the Old Testament. You're like, what? What are you talking about? Jesus said this in the Old Testament. No, I assure you. You see, one time uh, there were three men, and they were obviously not men alone, and they, they showed up, and Abraham saw them from far off, and he ran to them. So normally in, in this culture, if somebody was coming towards you, you would wait at your home. You would wait in place. But Abraham recognized who it was passing by, and he ran after God. He ran after Jesus, and he said, no, you have to come to my house. I have to make you dinner. You have to stay. You have to, you have to, you have to. Why? Because Abraham knew that this was God in flesh in the Old Testament, and so what happens is this man, Jesus, speaks to Abraham, and he says, listen, hey, you're going to have a son. At this point, Abraham is old. His wife, Sarah, is old. They're like, this isn't going to happen. Sarah laughs, and Jesus' response, God's response literally is, why are you laughing? Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? And this is not a question that was meant to be answered. It was rhetorical because there is nothing too hard for God, for our God is omnipotent. When we look at God's power, there are certain areas that we can confirm that he oversees or has power over. And there, there's no greater depiction of this than when you go back to the Old Testament all the way in the beginning, Genesis 1, 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Our God is creator. And, and, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is that if God was creator, our God is unchanging, which is one of the things we're going to talk about one of these days. And so God is still creator. He's still creator. It's not like he was creator back in the beginning and then he said, well, I'm going to hang up that job. No, no, no. Our God is still the creator. He spoke the universe into existence. He spoke the earth into its, into its position, into its place. And he continues to speak things into creation today. 
That is what an all-powerful creator God can do because he is all-powerful. He is over creation. His voice moves mountains. His word brings healing. His hand provides. Why? Because he is all-powerful. He is creator. But he's not just creator. He's also sustainer. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says this, For through him, speaking of Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. So we're not just talking about how God created it, but now he's the one holding it in place, holding it together. He's sustaining his creation. When we talk about God holding together the world, we're saying that he oversees and he holds everything. He holds everything. Hebrews 1.3 ec- echoes this statement. It says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So God created this world and he is sustaining this world. And guess what? God created you and he is sustaining you. He's holding your life together. You know, one of the things I was thinking about is this would be a great time to kind of illustrate this. So I have two uh, little buckets here of water. Now they're just water, so we're going to get water, and it's going to make a little mess. That's okay. It's water. Okay. It'll dry up. It's okay. All right. And the outlets are over there, so we're, we're contained here. All right. So this is water in here. Now this right now is the water is being held, right, by this container. Now if this water... I'm not going to dump a a bunch, don't worry. If the water was not being held by this container, it just begins to make a mess, right? It becomes chaotic. And you go, wow, that doesn't make sense. There's no order. That's, well, this is what would happen if God wasn't holding the universe together. Okay, now, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take your life, okay? I'm going to take your life. I'm going to say, this is your life. And you're holding your life together, right now. Look at you. You're so proud of yourself. But the problem is when we're holding our life together in our own strength and trying to contain things uh, to themselves, what ends up happening is, we all know this, hard times come, right? And so what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to take this board and I'm going to do that. And what ends up happening is we're no longer able to hold as much, right? And then, you know, you've learned a little bit of your lesson, but then you go, you know what? I think I'm still good. And then more comes and it's just a mess. Why? Because we are not designed to hold ourselves together. We've been created to turn to a sustaining God. I'm going to say that one more time. You've been created to turn to a sustaining, holding all things together God. But then, you know, I'm going to use this cup just for fun because the reality is sometimes people go, well, you know what? I've got my spouse. I've got my spouse here. So, you know, what? I'm going to I'm going to do this again. I'm going to take my life and I'm going to take my spouse's life. 
And you know what? We're going we're gonna to get through this together. So my spouse is the one who supports me. And you know what's amazing is you're a little bit stronger now, right? So you're a little bit stronger. So if we take the board, we drop the board, man, you held up. You held up. And then harder times come. And you were not designed to, to sustain yourself or your spouse. Anybody ever notice that when a spouse relies so much on the other, it ends up causing a lot of problems in the marriage? Why? Because you were not meant to sustain and hold together your spouse. Only God was. So what happens when hard times come? Whoo! Man, you're having fun here. You may withstand it. And you may withstand it. And you may withstand it. But as you can see, time and time and time again, it gets messier and messier. And then we go, then there are people, man. I, I'm thankful for grandparents. I'm thankful for mentors. You know, I'm also thankful for pastors, right? Because sometimes pastors are the ones that we turn to and we go, man, my pastor supports me. My pastor loves me and he's, he's, he's there. I'm not always there, in case you didn't notice that. Um, I got my own life to deal with. I'm still there. But when time comes, we go, man, we're withstanding a lot. But if you notice, every time we do this, you're fine. I don't need it. Water doesn't always stay in the bucket. Something always falls out of place. Why? Because we're not designed to hold things together. And what ends up happening is that hopefully, eventually, we hit a point where we go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to keep my mentor because that's important. And I'm going to keep my spouse because that's biblical. And I'm going to keep myself. <laughs> um, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to recognize that I, I need more than I can be. I, I, I can't do this. So I'm going to, I'm going to hand this all over to God. I, you know, I'm going to give my pastor to God. I'm going to give my spouse to God. I'm going to, I'm going to give all of this to him. And what I'm about to illustrate here, some of you will go, well, that doesn't make sense, Pastor Jonathan. Well, there's no object that makes perfect sense for this. So when hard times come, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Because our God is an impenetrable force. And as long as you're choosing to rely upon him, listen, hard times are going to come. Listen, in case you, you can't tell, but I'm looking down here, and this thing is shaking. This water is not sitting still in here. Why? Because it feels the weight of the pressure. But the reality is our God holds us together. He sustains us. And listen, the reason why I say there's no object that totally makes sense is because, you know, I'm going to get to that at the end. I'm going to get to that at the end because that'll be really good. That'll be a great illustration when we get there. So his, his power is on display in creation. His power is on display uh, not just over creation, but it's, and that's, I mean, obviously that's everything, but we're going to break this down a little bit to kind of give you an even clearer picture of God's omnipotent power. So not only is his power on display in creation, but his power is on display over life itself. And you go, whoa, where are we going here? All right, I'm, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. Uh, there's a man named Daniel. And Daniel is a man who prayed and prayed. And in fact, Daniel was a man who was shown favor by God. And the leadership, the king loved Daniel. He promoted him. He put him over all these different things. But there were other people who did not like Daniel. They knew that they could trick the king. And they said, hey, king, you need to make a rule. 
that any, everybody needs to pray to you. And Daniel's like, well, I'm not going to pray to the king. I'm only going to pray to my God. So, well, what happens to Daniel when this happens? He gets thrown into a lion's den because that was the punishment for this. So Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den and he was not destroyed. But when we look at this story, this is what I love. And this is something that we read over um, because normally this is a Sunday school story. Um, and so we don't tell this to our children. But this is literally what the story says. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. Pit gets covered for the night. King Darius is so upset. He's so nervous. He doesn't want Daniel to die. He wakes up in the morning. He rushes to the pit. They, he says, get the stone out of here. Open it up. He opens it. King yells down, Daniel, are you, are you alive? Did your God save you? And Daniel says, yes, I'm here. Long live the king. And so what does Daniel do in this moment? Daniel gets out of the pit. Not a scratch on his body. And you go, well, maybe the lions weren't hungry. Well, maybe you don't know the full story. Because <laughs> in this moment, the king gets furious because he recognizes that he's been trapped. And to the men who had trapped him to put Daniel into a pit, he goes, no, no longer. You're going into the pit. And your wives are going into the pit. And all these people get thrown into this pit. And guess what happens in a moment? <laughs> the lions destroy them. It wasn't that the lions weren't hungry. It was that God steadied the lions. It was that God steadied the lions. Why? Because God has power over life itself. He has power over the animals of this earth. Um, let's, let's go a step further. Some of you go, well, this, this doesn't matter. I assure you that this does matter. In Mark 11, we come across this bizarre story that shows how God is not only in control of life in the animal kingdom, but even Something more astounding. In uh, Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12, it says, The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now, this is just crazy. Like, Jesus is just like, you know what? Forget you, tree. Cursed are you. You will not bear any more fruit. Let's jump to verse 20. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said and said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree has cursed, uh, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And what does it say? It withered from the roots up. Why? Because our God is omnipotent over the animal kingdom and he's omnipotent over the plant kingdom. I don't know the word. I, don't, I should have looked at the word. I don't care. He's, he's over that. Why does that matter? Because a lot of the food you eat is grown. Our God is in control. He is over that. Let's just let's keep moving on with this. God is 
omnipotent over life. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23, we come to this story where uh, Samuel has been chasing David. Samuel, not Samuel, sorry, Saul. Saul has been chasing David. He's going after him for his life because he knows that David is already the anointed king who just hasn't ascended the throne yet. And so Saul is chasing after him with his army. His entire army is after David. And we get to this verse in verse 13 because David knows God, goes to God, says, God, what do I do? What do I do? God tells him. So David and his men, about 600 of them, now left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. I'm going to say it one more time. But God didn't let Saul find him. I say it all the time, and sometimes people, nobody actually pushes back on me when I say this. You cannot do anything you put your mind to because you are not omnipotent. Only God. Only God. And one of, one of the things that's so encouraging about that and we're going to talk more about this at the end of the sermon here in just a few moments. But our God wants better for you than you want for yourself. So I praise God that I can't do everything I put my mind to. <laughs> because there are things I shouldn't have even put my mind to. And God says, you know what? You're cut off. You're going to move forward. You're going to head in a different direction. Why? Because he loves me more than I love myself. So God is omnipotent over life. I'm going to, I'm not going to pass over this one, but this is a big one too. Not is he just omnipotent over life, but in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching after Pentecost. This is the day of Pentecost. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Gentiles, I'm sorry, when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Not only is God omnipotent over creation, not only is God omnipotent over life, but God is omnipotent over death. He has already, he has already won the victory. He has already won the victory over death. It has already happened. And then one of the other things we have to understand when we're talking about death is death is what? It's an attack of the enemy. That's really what it comes down to. And it's a, it's a use, it's a tool of the enemy, but oh man, this is good. And this is where culture begins to miss it in a very big way. In, in Hollywood or even in life, we, we've, we've all seen the videos, we've seen the pictures where we depict an angel and a demon on the shoulder, right? And we picture, and we are seen time and time and time again where they're almost on the same level. It's like God and the devil, they're always in this constant war. <laughs> that could not be further from the truth. They are not in a constant war. The war has already been won. 
And in fact, the battles that you face are fought by yourself because God has already accomplished and succeeded in victory in every battle that he needs. The war's already been won. We battle. We battle. And so what does that mean? What that means is, well, let's just go back to that. Lucifer, the devil himself, is a created being. If God is over creation, then guess what? God has power over his creation. The devil submits to God. Don't let him fool you into thinking that he is on the same level. I look back to the Ephesian church, chapter 6. This is what Paul writes, beginning in verse 10. He says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, hello, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against all evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Why can we be assured that we can still stand firm against the attacks of the enemy? Because our God is omnipotent over the enemy. He is all powerful, all powerful over the enemy's schemes. He is all powerful over the enemy's power. We can be assured of this, though, because there's something else that's awesome. 1 John 4, 4, but you belong to God, my dear children. These are, this is him speaking to the children of God. This is not him speaking to all men and all women. This is him speaking to the followers of Jesus. But you belong to God, my children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. The encouragement continues because this all-powerful God has given you himself. What does it say? The spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The spirit that is in you is greater than the spirit that is in the world. What's amazing is that God gives us this spirit so that we can know who he is, so that we can be assured in faith that he is real, so we can be assured in faith that he is stronger, so that we can be assured in faith that he knows better. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a deposit, right? It's a deposit in your bank of what is to come for your future. Though we may not see him in this moment, though we may not uh, be able to experience him fully, he's given us his spirit so that we can know his power, so that we can know his might. And this is why all of these things are comforting. Because in Titus 1-2, we come across this very, (laughs) very amazing parenthetical, but it's not a parenthetical statement. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God Here we go. Who does not lie, promised them before the world began. One of the things I know in life is it's so much easier to lie than tell the truth. (laughs) It's so much easier to fail at your promises than follow through on them. Right? I mean, I'm reminded of them all the time as a dad. I'm like, man, I said this and I, I messed up. 
or I said this and I wasn't able to follow through. You know what's amazing about God's all-powerful self? If he spoke it, he can do it. If he spoke it, he will do it. Why? Because God cannot lie. So all his promises are yes and amen. I'm going to say it one more time. Our God cannot lie. So all his promises are yes and amen. When his word tells you, listen, I love you. I gave my life for you. Listen, he is all powerful and is able to do exactly what he's spoken, which is why he gave himself on a cross to die for your sin. When God says, hey, I have a plan for you, and my plan for you is good. My plan for you has a future that's positive for you. Guess what? God cannot lie, and he is all-powerful to achieve what he has already spoken over you. And therefore, you can know that when I put my mind to something and it does not come to pass, my God, who I've submitted my life to, is all-powerful and has said, listen, I'm closing this door, so I want you to pursue this one instead. So we say, Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe that you know what's best for me. And so therefore, I believe that you are all-powerful and will do exactly as you say. Worship team, can you guys come up this morning? Our all-powerful God is holy, righteous, and pure. We as humans, we know it's easy to lie. We know it's easy to fail. Our God is powerful enough to never fail. Our God is powerful enough to never lie because he will do exactly as he says to do. His promise of your salvation and eternal rest in his presence are yours. All you have to do is give him your life. His promise of a fulfilled purpose and plan are available to you because he is all-powerful. His promise of giftings will be realized as you hand over more of your life to him. He has given you his Holy Spirit as a deposit of his promises. Our God is alive and powerful. And now what we're going to do is I'm going to take us all the way back to our illustration. This morning, I, I'm going to end in the book of Psalms, beginning in chapter, well, we're going to be in chapter 27. When I think about our life, there are so many times where I want to run in fear, right? I mean, let's just be real. There are so many circumstances in my personal life. There are circumstances in my, my relationships with people. There are circumstances in my mind, right? There are circumstances in our communities, in our country, in our world that make me just want to curl up in a ball. Why? Because, well, I don't have the cup, but if I was holding the cup here, why? Because I can't hold it all together. And as the world comes and crashes in on me, I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to make it. And we've all been there. We've all had some kind of mental break at some point in our life that has pushed us into responding in ways that we would not have liked. Why? Because we can't hold it all together. But Psalm 27.1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. 
And this is where I want to paint this picture of how the psalmist is writing this. So back in the day, the cities were not like they are today. Right? So now we, we're, we put cities anywhere. At that time, they would build them on hills. They would find a hilltop because they would want the higher ground. Because if you had the higher ground and you were on the outside of your city wall, you can look out for miles. And then if an enemy was coming to attack, you would see it from far off. You would be prepared. And in fact, as the enemy was coming to attack, when they were out of reach of hitting you, they would be within reach of you because you had the higher ground. So the psalmist says, you, you God, are my light. You are my salvation. He's the one shining a light over the enemy, revealing the attacks that are to come. And then he says, you, Lord, are my fortress. What's amazing about this is even if an enemy were to get through the outer wall, the city knew they could run to the fortress, which was essentially impenetrable in regards to the weaponry of the day. And that fortress, they'd be able to either escape to another place or they'd be able to withstand an attack of the enemy for an extended period of time. And so what the psalmist is saying today, he says, listen, our God is going to shine a light in places that need to be seen. And our God is our fortress that we can run to. He is impenetrable to the attacks of the enemy. He is impenetrable to the attacks of the enemy. So put on God's full armor because he is all-powerful to withstand the attack. He is all-powerful over everything. So why should you fear? So when you have moments in your life where worry begins to well up and anxiety begins to increase, take a step back and remind yourself, my God is omnipotent and my God cannot lie and declare his promises over your life because every one of his promises are yes and amen. He cannot fail. He is all-powerful, and therefore we can live differently because of it. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that the computer never crashed. So now we know one of the two things is happening. Jesus, I pray that as we continue in this series, God, I thank you that today as we talked about you being all-powerful, God, I know I'm walking out of here encouraged. <laughs> God, may we declare your power over our life each day. May we put on the armor of God. May we spend time pursuing you, understanding that all your promises are yes and amen. So I need not worry about tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.